Thank you for listening to this Belly Up Sports Podcast Network product. Some said we go belly up, so we made it our name. And we're still here. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome, 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 welcome to In The Can Podcast. This is episode seven. We are part of the Barnburner Podcast Network. And In The Can is where we discuss movies or as the snooty assholes of the world like to call them films. This is The Chief, and I'm joined by one of my favorite movie-going buddies, one of my bros, uh, a guy that is surely to enlighten all of you to Nirvana, and that is Kansas City Brett. I call him Kansas City Brett because he lives in Kansas City, but his name's Brett. Brett, what you doing, man? You good? Hey, I'm pretty good. Uh, thanks for the intro. Uh, that was definitely hyping me up way more than I deserve, but that's why I like you, Chief. <laughs> You're good, man. Like, look, there, there's, I, there, I can't hype you up enough. Had I, had I like had uh, Macho Man Randy Savage do an intro, it, it wouldn't, it still wouldn't do that. Yeah, brother. We're moving on today. We are talking uh, 2017's Three Billboards Outside of Ebbing, Missouri, uh, written and directed by Martin McDonough. We're going to be talking full spoilers. So if you haven't seen Three Billboards yet, like cut this podcast off and go to the movies and watch it. It's definitely worth your time. So that's kind of a spoiler for what I think about it, but it is worth your time. Check it out. Don't get spoiled in a podcast, you, you weirdo. So I will, I will set the, uh, the backstory of this movie with a quick plot description after I take a sip of this delicious Miller Lite. So Three Billboards is a tale set in rural, um, rural America uh, in, in Missouri uh, in a small town called Ebbing, which is a fictional town. It features a mother who is, who is, uh, who is depressed, who is uh, forlorn over her daughter having been murdered before the events of the movie take place. Um, and the police in the town haven't done anything about it. So this mother, uh, this very determined woman, takes matters into her own hands and erects three billboards. Um, each of which has a different message on it, essentially calling out the local police force and saying, why hasn't anything been done? And why has not, 
has someone not been caught, someone that that, that uh, raped and murdered my daughter. Uh, and as you can imagine, it, it kicks a, it kicks a small town into motion, uh, causes a bunch of disarray, and the police force fights back a little bit, and we enter into a series of pretty dramatic moments. How do you feel about that, Brett? You feel like that's a good plot description? Feel free to supplement, man. Yeah. I mean, I, I wouldn't change a thing that you said about that. There's just so many layers and layers and layers to this movie, and I think that's part of why it becomes an instant classic. Instant classic. Sees it. Yeah. yeah that, I know. I, I, uh, I mean, uh, there's, we'll go ahead and break that out of the way. I think we both really enjoyed this movie. And um, so you're going to hear us more like talk very positively about it than hate on yeah. it. Uh, but it, it, I mean, it, it is, I think is one of those movies you look back on, you know, and in, in, in 20 years and it's one that's still talked about uh, because it is, it, it's kind of, it's timeless and it's uh it is could it could be like an American classic. I mean, you can't really know until it happens, but it could be. Yeah. Well, and the thing that the thing that makes me say that is I, I obviously fell in love with it immediately upon seeing it. But I've told so many other people to see it and they have and they I have I've only heard great feedback. And that's why, you know, it, either we're all brainwashed or we're all waiting for something like this. And, and it happened. And that's it's a sign of a great movie, I think. Oh, absolutely. So the writer and director is a guy named Martin McDonough, as I mentioned earlier. He is British, half British, half Irish. Um, so he's not uh, from the United States. And he is a playwright. So he started writing plays initially, and that's how he came into the industry. And then eventually he worked his way to movies. The first movie he wrote and directed, and and his first feature-length movie was called In Bruges. Uh, it had Colin Farrell in it and um, Brendan Gleeson. And and uh, Ray Fiennes, and it was probably 2008 that came out. And it's like a dark. All of his movies are kind of dark comedies, I guess, in, in genre wise. It's really good. Uh, it's a small kind of character driven movie. And then his next movie was Seven Psychopaths. Uh, I don't know if did you see. Did you have you seen either of these movies, Brett? I've seen Seven Psychopaths, and I love it. It's, <laughs> I wanted to get into that a little bit later too. Just the uh, the Sam Rockwell portion of both of these movies, but yeah, I've seen it. Love that. Love that one too. Yeah, and and Martin, he started out. He did like a short film too, but he, I mean, he's a very he's one of those auteur type directors where he like he writes his own shit, he directs it, he works with the same people most of the time. He kind of works with a small group of actors, and you can tell like he's just a very talented guy. He's one of those guys I think that like, and I talked about this in the Alex Garland Annihilation podcast. But he's he's another one of those guys that anytime he puts out something, I'm going to go see it because not to be the guy that's like, oh, I've loved this guy since he first started doing stuff. Uh, but I'm going to be the hipster that's like, I listened to this band before anyone knew about him. Uh, I, I, Which I is saw it for you to admit because you typically uh, bash on hipsters. So. I do. Yeah. <laughs> Every now and then I'll be hating on the hipsters. But, but no, like I, when I saw him in Bruges, I saw it in theaters and loved it. And I was like, this guy's fucking awesome. He, he has a little bit of a Tarantino edge, you know, kind of a dark comedy, witty dialogue, like, you know, very imperfect character. Like no one's, no one's fully put together, um, kind of some crime, like, he, he makes, I mean, the definition of a dark comedy, he takes like really fucked up things and makes you kind of chuckle at him. And, and, you know, and that's, I mean, that's maybe the closest thing to life that, that can exist. So Mark Madonna is super talented dude. Glad he's finally getting some like national acclaim for this movie. It's weird that it took this movie to do it, but, uh, cause his other ones are great. He said the genesis of this movie was like 20 years ago. He was riding a, but I don't know. Apparently, people still ride Greyhounds, or at least they did 20 years ago. It's just like, years ago, yeah. I think he made this story up to like make it sound like this movie has more like emotional meaning to him. But he says he was riding a Greyhound bus through rural Alabama, yeah. some southern state. And he said he saw three billboards or, or some billboards um, that had a, me- a very emotional message that didn't mean it wasn't advertising, like it didn't mean anything nationally. 
it was just some message, some emotional message, like that was something. And he said it like it, it resonated with him. And he thought, what would motivate someone to put billboards up like that? Like what would motivate a person to put up, like pay all their hard earned money to put those up if it wasn't like a corporation. And, uh, and so he said he worked out kind of the idea of these billboards being, uh, you know, an, a, an older a mother. And then he said the rest just kind of fell into place. So what did you think about this movie before <laughs> you saw it? Did you see the previews for it or what were your thoughts going into it? Uh, I had actually not heard of it and had no idea that it was out, that there was any buzz or hype around it. Um, and it's actually the second time this has happened to me. The first time this happened to me was with Birdman. I don't know if you, you saw that one, but like, no, I've had no idea what was going on. And my wife, sorry, ladies, I am taken and uh, very committed. So <laughs> any anybody out there listening, uh, my wife said, let's go see this movie. And it happened with Birdman. It happened with this one. I saw it and instantly loved both those movies. This one way more. Um, that one just came out of the left field and blew me away. And I thought it was pretty, pretty different, pretty funny, pretty awesome. Uh, but this one just took it up another level and, and not because it's at another level action or adventure or anything like that. It's just everything about it is just well done. Do you, do you generally follow movies? So or, or you like follow certain filmmakers and, and wait for them to put out projects or nope. you just kind of wait to hear that shit's good on Rotten Tomatoes and then go see it. I, I have a strict loyalty to any Marvel movie that comes out and Star Wars movies that come out. Otherwise, I'm just anything that catches my eye. Maybe I'll go see. I'm definitely not scared to just go grab any movie that's playing nearby when it's convenient for me. But yeah, not typically. Uh, there's directors I like, but I don't really follow anybody to, to detail. So but you saw Seven Psychopaths. And, and at yeah. what point did you realize this is the same guy? It was after I saw it. So like I said, I don't even, I mean, there's, there's some big, the big names I'll know, like this is a Steven Spielberg production or, uh, this is a Ripley movie. Um, there's movies like that, that, yeah. that I know, but from this movie, like I said, I, I honestly didn't know what it was, where it came from. Um, I saw his name come across the screen at the beginning and didn't mean anything to me. And then when I realized I loved it and I started looking around, I was like, Oh, he directs seven psychopaths. I like that movie. Um, and there's actually a scene in that movie where they do a voiceover, uh, Colin Farrell's reading Sam Rockwell's diary. And I was like, oh, wow, that's like the same scene with with uh, Woody Harrelson reading his letters. So um, definitely connected those points. I don't know how much else I connected about it, but I could see the kind of that same style. And I love both of those scenes in both of those movies. Yeah, it's a risky move, like having a guy reading a letter, you know, like voiceover. Uh, it can, it can work. I mean, it can work as it does in this one. It can also be laughable. It could be like yeah. lifetime movie, Hallmark movie shit <laughs> about, you know, reading about their father that passed away. And then, you know, like, what, you know, and now there's a stepdad yeah. in the picture. I don't know. And I'm not talking about my personal life here, guys. I, I, I don't have a stepdad. Let's move on to our in the cans patented one sentence. No conjunctions review. Okay. That this is to, to this is to, to make sure that no one sneaks in this long, eloquent sentence uh, into our into our in the can podcast here. This is a succinct one sentence review, and, and if I hear a conjunction, then I'm not going to do anything. But the listeners are going to discredit you, Brett. So make sure that uh, make sure you keep this tight. So what's your what's your review? Uh, well, I like to challenge the process, so I'm just going to throw that out the window and uh, paint a little <laughs> picture for the listeners. Uh, imagine the funniest person you know, like the funniest person you know, always makes you laugh. Um, just inherently funny, right? All of a sudden, that person is dying of something like cancer. 
but that person is still the most hilarious person that you know. So they're throwing one-liners left and right. But now all the funny stuff is about death and dying and your inevitable mortality. That's this movie for me. That's pretty fucking intense, man. (laughs) (laughs) if I do have to have to actually follow the rules and do a one-liner, then I'm going to say this is the best uh, Francis McDormand Coen Brothers movie since Fargo. Oh, so you're you're saying that? Okay, okay, I, I, I get what you're saying there, but our listeners may not. You're, you you say that that this guy is rivaling the Coen Brothers in terms of what he's able to do. I yes, I yeah. think that I think he's not digging into each character the same way that the Coens would. Uh, like he's kind of giving an actual reason for a lot of these characters motives and the things that they do. And I like that better than a Coen brothers film. Yeah. The, the Coen brothers version of this movie w- wouldn't have any plot, right? It'd be, yeah. the, it'd be the billboards going up, but then nothing would happen. Everyone would just kind of talk about it and it'd yeah. be damn entertaining, but yeah, you wouldn't really get anywhere, which I fucking love. I mean, I, I'm a big Coen brothers guy. Like big Lebowski is one of my favorite movies and nothing happens in that movie. Like nothing, no one develops, no one arcs. Everyone's the exact same they were at the end of the movie as they were at the beginning, but it's really entertaining. Yeah, uh, that's that's a good that's a good review. I I hadn't really actually uh, thought about mine, so I'm going to go with uh, Martin McDonough. That's why that's my that's my one sentence review. I, this guy, I mean, there, there's there's we're in a world right now where there's a lot of people, very talented filmmakers that are out there doing all this stuff for us, and they keep producing awesome shit, and it's just it's awesome. Like I do follow certain people. I mean, not everyone, but like I do have my favorites and he's definitely one and he just keeps putting out awesome stuff. And when I heard about this movie, I like saw that, it, you know, like on IMDb, you can go to their page and it says like in production or like, you know, to what degree the movie's been made or whatever. And I saw that he was making this one and it was set in, uh, you know, in, in rural Missouri and they had the basic plot of it. And I was like, oh, man, like th- this is this is going to be good. And then it came out and I didn't expect it to get like all this acclaim, like Oscar acclaim. But, I mean, I expected it to be good, and I'm glad yeah, that he's probably and, and I know that that's why you asked me to do this review with you. I'm just the token Missouri guy that you had to pull in to uh, to help the viewers appreciate this movie. So. Yeah, yeah. This, this podcast is called Three Billboards Outside of Brett Harrell's House. Uh, mm-hmm. is, is there Now, have you seen these billboards? Because I understood this actually happened. Are you a character in this movie, actually? I should ask. I didn't want to spoil. I didn't want to spoil that part. I'm actually waiting for somebody to realize that. So we'll have to wait and see um, if anybody can point out the exact half a second that I'm in the film. Or you weren't the guy thrown out of the window, right? You weren't the advertising guy, Red Welby. No. Okay. Uh, no. You just have, you have a you bear a strikingly resemblance to him. So uh, had to ask. Thanks. You know. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> so is this now important question here? Is this the goat billboard movie? Uh, you know, and I Googled, but nah, I should, I should let you know, I Googled billboard movies mm-hmm. and this is the only one that came up. So I think this is going to be a very quick conversation. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, but uh, if you have an argument here, I'd love to hear. Yeah. So I, I didn't billboard, I didn't Google billboard movies precisely because I knew that unless it came to mind, there wasn't a better billboard movie. And I'm going to have to say different genre, different category, different everything, but uh, one movie where billboards prominently feature for me that's a great movie is I Love You, Man. And I just, I don't know if I can say that this is the GOAT billboards movie. For the amount of screen time that comes in in both films, I'd say the billboards are, are equal presence. And I Love You, Man billboards, that's a pretty pretty crucial. Yeah, strong billboards. Strong, <laughs> yeah. strong billboards in, in I Love You, Man. Yeah. Uh, that's true. Yeah. You can't discredit those billboards in that movie. I mean, whether or not they have the same amount of emotional resonance in terms of, the, you know, in terms of the plot, 
I don't, I st- hell, I still think it might be debatable, you know? I mean, dying and Rafe daughter or best friend. I mean, you know, yeah. <laughs> like, who, who's to say which is more important, right? Certainly not us. Certainly not these podcasters. Yeah. yeah. Well, which one's going to have a bigger go forward impact on the main character? I don't know. I don't know. I will say that I, I love you, man, probably influenced an entire generation of kids to listen to Rush who probably otherwise wouldn't have. Uh, and and I, hell, I, three billboards ain't influenced me to do anything. Yeah. Um, other than be a generally good person and entirely change the way I think about life and death. But that's kind of meager, right? Yeah, I'm trying to, trying to see what, how those stack up against each other, and I, I yeah. don't have an answer. Yeah, me neither. So, uh, so it sounds like we're not going to get to the bottom of this point, but uh, <laughs> just, just understand there's other important Billboard movies out there that you might need to go check out. Uh, specifically, I Love You, Man. So, the genre is getting packed. It's starting to saturate. So yeah. in, in now. Yeah, there. There's pretty soon. Everyone will be running to the theaters to see four billboards back to Missouri <laughs> or something. I don't know. I'm going to keep coming up with the. They should hire me to just come up with sequel titles. I think. I think. I think that would be my only job. Three I wouldn't be billboards able to, into yeah. the jungle. Yeah, three into the jungle. Yeah, <laughs> that gets me every time. That's such a stupid <laughs> joke. It annoys me that that gets me. Um, best ones. Yeah, yeah. That you're right. All right. So, what are your notable? overarching themes of this movie so if you had to so to pick out some stuff to, that this movie tackles um could be serious could be comedic uh could be any uh combination of the above what what are some things that stuck out to you regarding themes the biggest theme that so i mean there's very obvious themes that maybe we'll dig into but the biggest theme that actually upsets me that is a theme in this movie is that people can change and i don't like and this this may be a, a a not a popular take, but I don't like Sam Rockwell's character arc in this film. Uh, I don't deny that he's a great actor in the film, but the arc that he takes to me it's just too much of a turnaround, and I don't like that. And I think one of the themes that you're supposed to come away with is no matter how bad you are or what your upbringing is or how dumb you might be, there's still redeemability for every single person. And the way he re- redeems himself, I just don't believe it. So maybe we'll get into that later, but uh, yeah. that's that's the theme that I've got the biggest beef with. What are some other themes you noticed that maybe you didn't have as much of a problem with? Uh, I mean, there's the sense of the family life that's it, they're in small town Missouri. Everybody knows everybody's business, but everybody's they're just as tight lipped as they are tight knit. I would say um, so. They're not talking necessarily about Mil- you know one of Mildred's beefs is that her ex husband, who was a cop, used to beat her, but nobody did anything about that. And, you know, everybody in the town knows that she lost her daughter and it's repeated several times. You know, we support you in this case, getting it figured out, but we don't support you in what you're doing to Chief Willoughby. And it's just kind of, I don't know if it's a small mindedness, like how dare you mess with him? Not, well, what's the reason behind this? And that's a big theme that I think gets explored and doesn't necessarily get resolved, which I'm okay with in this film, but um, that seems to be a big one. Yeah, I mean, and I mean that those are sort of echo anything that I said, but I mean, just I guess the idea of heartache and like, uh, I mean, I, what I, one thing I liked about this movie is, and I don't know if it's necessarily a theme, but it sort of goes to the heartache theme is that the fact that the families weren't present, no one was presented as a perfect American, leave it to Beaver family, you know. And uh, now, now it doesn't necessarily mean that these are realistic families, uh, but I mean, sadly, they are, right? There's, you know, there's families like this everywhere, and um, like for instance, Mildred Hayes, played by Frances McDormand has this abusive husband and her kids know about it. And um, there's kind of, you know, the, the husband leaves for a younger woman and, uh, and it direct, it definitely affects this woman. She's a very tough, strong woman, 
but regardless, like it, she'll never be the same because of all that. And and then you got, you know, Woody Harrelson, who's, you know, maybe not handling the cancer thing the best way he could have. Like um, he, he, I mean, and we'll maybe get into this too, but I think he, t- he's a very selfish character with what, with what actually occurs. Oh yeah. Um, and, and so, I mean, it, it definitely paints like an, uh, what I think to be a very legitimate por- uh, portrait of some Americana, um, some families in, in modern day, uh, and ironically written and directed by a guy who has never yeah, did not grow up in America, <laughs> yeah. like at all. Uh, and for some reason, it, it is encountering some criticism because of that. But because it was a British guy, like a British white guy, like suddenly everyone thinks that everything's misguided. But like it, it, just because like the whoever wrote it doesn't mean it make it any less true or accurate or whatever. But um, I just find I found that very interesting. And, and, and one of the heavy themes is that is the loss and family, like you said. So who who moving on to our actor awards and of course on in the can uh, because this is part of the barn burner podcast network we do our actor awards basketball style um, so we're going to start with who gets the most buckets and that is our best acted award in this movie in three billboards uh, I'm going to go first I'm going to defend Sam Rockwell right now I, I feel like I, I feel like you're about to you're about to kind of try to collapse um, all the acclaim around him right now. Uh, with your, with your, your, whatever you're about to say, I think you're going to say that, I think what you're about to say is that you feel like his arc wasn't earned um, and that you feel like he, he wouldn't, maybe it wasn't realistic or whatever. And you, you, you did, you disclaimed yourself. You said, oh, but you know, he acted well and everything like that. But I think he made the arc earned. I think his performance, his performance showed that like, that, that any character can, can be redeemed and, uh, and, we know about his history. We know Sam Rockwell plays Jason Dixon. He plays the 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 kind of inept, dumb, stereotypical Southern deputy in the police force, um, who li- still lives with his mother and is he just you know he's just he reads comics, he listens to music. Um, he's just a classic character. Like you know Rockwell, of course, like gets this dopey haircut. He has this goofy kind of walk, and then he has like his um, he has like a little uh, beer gut on too. And uh, he just kind of encompasses this character and, and sort of steps into the shoes. And I, I don't know, like it, Rockwell is like one of the most unique working actors today. Like he he is such a weird guy and like he he flies in the face of what is a typical Hollywood dude. You know, he's he's a handsome guy, obviously, but he's not like Brad Pitt or whatever, like Brian Gosling. Right. He's kind of goofy looking, but, yeah, but not, not at all. It. But like, I mean, yeah, but for Hollywood. Yeah. Like and but he pulls off these kind of weird bizarre quirky characters and so like I, I just thought it was fantastic he and when i make this award i always think about like when i come out of the movie like who immediately came to mind and everyone just like is awesome in this movie there's certainly no weak links which is you know credit to the writing and directing but yeah man rockwell is just he's just so good like and i knew like when this movie was like advertised and i saw he was cast in this role and i saw what the general you know what the role was generally i remember thinking in my head like oh man this is gonna be good like you know like i like I just immediately thought in my head that he's being set up for an acting award, and uh, and he was just good, man. Like in one specific scene that comes to mind, like I mean, like, just amidst of him playing this dumb character, um, this this hateable character who is who is accused, and and you know, <laughs> while I guess uh, Harrelson's character said there was no real evidence of him being racist, <laughs> uh, but but the idea is that he's he's beat, you know, he's racist and he has beaten black people, um, or people, you know, minorities. Uh, as a white cop and that, that he does have, he lets his uh, personal biases uh, enter into his police work. 
Um, but it's clear that he looks up to Woody Harrelson's character, the chief of police in the town of Ebbing, uh, Bill Willoughby. And, and he's kind of like a, he's kind of like a little brother figure to, to Willoughby. And one scene that sticks out is a spoiler alert um, in the middle of the movie in in a shocking kind of scene, a scene that I didn't foresee at all. Really glad I avoided spoilers. So if, if you haven't seen it, turn it off right now. Uh, Woody Harrelson's character has cancer in the movie and he uh, in the middle of the movie decides to commit suicide because uh, he has like months left. And so he commits suicide and the entire police force finds out about it. And when Rockwell, when the entire police force finds out about it, Rockwell's listening to his earbuds. So he doesn't hear initially <laughs> Then he pulls him out and like with this dumb look on his face, he's like, Oh, what happened? And then, then it cut to this bathroom scene of him. Just like, it's like, you know, it's another, it's a father figure to him. He had just lost his father. You know, we find out that he's like, I guess had moved back in with his mom to take care of his mom once his dad passed away. Um, and so he just has this very raw emotional scene in this bathroom that could be so dumb. Like those scenes can like when you're force fed, like acting, you know, and you're like, those scenes are either work or they're terrible. They're like, you know, it's either if DiCaprio had been in this scene, for instance, like it would have been laughable, right? Like he would have like been snot everywhere. Like the bathroom would have been half filled with tears and snot. The camera couldn't even gotten anywhere because DiCaprio would have fucking like all the fluids in his body would have um, uh, fell onto the floor. But Rockwell pulls it up, man. Like, and he, so I, I, I mean, I think he makes the arc work. Uh, he ultimately. Uh, he ultimately kind of joins uh, the main character, Mildred Hayes' side, and like protects her her file, the file of her daughter, and um, ultimately kind of plays a role in maybe cracking the case. But you know, as we find out, it doesn't actually. He doesn't actually crack the case. Um, and and I don't think like like what I guess my question for the people that, and I guess my question for you right now is, what could have been portrayed in this movie that would have made his arc earned? Like what? Essentially, what do people want? It. So yeah, I mean, caveat: he did play it really well. Like my beef is not with him and the role. It's, Your beef is not with the acting. Yeah, I, yeah, I understand. It's yeah. it's one of the two times that I can think of that the script let me down. And like you said, it wasn't earned. And I think it's just because he's so even. Like you said, he's he's the character you're not supposed to like, but he's likable enough throughout. Even the first half of the movie, where he's just a dumb racist cop who's just trying to bully everybody around and doesn't know how to do it like he's still likable but i think he's more dumb than he is racist or anything and i just don't think that even though he goes through a traumatic experience with getting burned and all of a sudden he meets he awkwardly meets all the people that he was an asshole to like red in the hospital we threw out a window you know like gives him a straw for his orange juice and gives him his orange juice and the guy who puts him out is uh a wonderful Peter Dinklage uh, role in this movie. Um, he, you know, he puts him out, he's on fire and he just, he doesn't hesitate. He just puts him out. And that's a guy who he had been shitty to earlier. And um, so like he, he sees these people helping him who he was shitty to, but I don't think that all of a sudden makes you smart enough to go solve the case and then have the social intelligence to go to Mildred and say all the things he says at the end of the movie that are like good lines i think he would still be stupid he may have the gumption to go do those things and to and he even he says i scratched you up like a bitch when he when he scratches the guy in the bar um which is funny but just he's semi-drunk he's seems to be just I, I don't know i don't think he puts the pieces together the way that the script would have him has him put the pieces together i don't think it works out that way and i almost wanted him to miss out on all the clues because he's just the dumb racist cop and he may 
change some other way, like something small. Like I wanted maybe something small to happen. But at the end, all of a sudden, he's Mildred's best friend and he's having witty banter about and social reflections on life. And I didn't see that for the first hour and 20 minutes. And that's the part that I just don't believe. So you think he was too dumb to have done any of the things he did in the second half of the movie is, is kind of the basis of your... Or, or the way that he discussed... It's more, it's more about just the, the dialogue, I think, is what... Now that I actually think about it, like before I was like, this just wouldn't happen. But now that I actually think about it, it's just the dialogue changes. He goes from what? Like that's his response. And like not being able to put a sentence together. And like, I just don't believe the words that come about out of his mouth in the last 15 minutes, as opposed to the entire 90 minutes before that. What about the, uh, what about the scene in the police station uh, when they're discussing the idea of defamation? And, yeah, he says, and he says, he says you're not a retard, are you? And he goes, don't call me a retard, Dixon. He says, I didn't call you a retard. I asked if you was one. And, yeah. and he, he, I, I disagree. I think it was, I, I think the script very much set him up as, yes, like he's dumb, but he's got his wits about him. You, you know the types, right? You know the book, not the book learned types, but he's, he's a smart, he's smarter than meets the eye. And he, he will never be brilliant. He'll never be an FBI agent. He'll never be more than a shitty cop in a shitty town. Um, but, but he's smarter than people think. And I think that, the, the, that that's the idea is that he's constantly underestimated. Uh, and that's, that gives him the advantage. That's always what gives him advantage. And that's, that's what continues to give him his, him his advantage and the rest of the movie, the way that those fucking drunk guys in the bar underestimate him. Yeah. And they but don't I understand. Would think, I would think that if, I, unless that fire did that, like changed it and the and meeting those people who were suddenly nice to him that he was really shitty about, like, where was that intelligence when he got fired for backtalking the guy who replaced Willoughby? Like, how would he have been that stupid to not a? And that's one of the, one of the funniest lines in the movie. I think I got fired, or or maybe suspended. And Cedric goes fired. fired yeah. <laughs> like yeah, like where's that intelligence to not lose your job? He, and where's the intelligence when Mildred walks in after he arrests Denise, her coworker, for the mar- two, two big marijuana cigarettes? And he lets her. Well, yeah, they were the lady with a funny eye. <laughs> he, yeah, like, he doesn't have the intelligence. He's he's prepared to talk to Mildred. He knows that that conversation is going to happen, and instead he lets her get the best of him and looks like an idiot. And then when the guy walks in, he should have. If he has the wherewithal to catch a criminal and then go plan and to call Mildred and to be really soft spoken with her and to to say the things he says on the swing set at the end of the movie, where was that to not get fired? That's uh, that's kind of the part. That wasn't his goal. I think he's reeling. And I mean, I I, I like this. I think we should discuss this. This is good stuff. Uh, I you got to think about this character and his arc. And if you really isolate the incidents, it makes a lot of sense to me. And believe me, I, I'm the first guy to hate on like arcs. They don't make sense. Yeah. Uh, this one does, though. And I think like it's gotten so much criticism and, and from people that like and you're you're critiquing it for the right reasons. But a lot of people are critiquing it for other reasons that are, don't that make even less sense. Right. Um, but he. And in a movie, you get like two hours with the character, right? So you have to get to know them, their backstory, and they can't they can't just tell their backstory. That doesn't make sense in dialogue. They have to it has to be hinted at and all that. So it's so you know you understand this guy is like um, he, he you know he's got he had his dad. His dad passes away shortly before this movie. He has to up in his life and move back in with his mother before the movie. He has issues with racism. He's been raised in institutional racism, not justifying it, just saying that's where he comes from. Right. And, and then it, so then his surrogate father is Chief Willoughby, um, who takes him on not only as a father, but also as a job mentor 
and, and fosters him through, you know, you can tell there's like a clear father son thing going on there. Some person starts fucking with his father figure and he fucks with them the best way he knows how Mildred Hayes starts fucking with, with Willoughby. And, um, then, uh, well, okay. So, and let me just pause there. I'll let you keep going there, but he doesn't even fuck with her the best way he knows how his mom has to tell him, get to her, her friends. And he, he, he just calls her names and eats a sandwich and watches her watch a Donald Sutherland movie. But he doesn't come up with that. His mom does. But so keep going. Right. He does. She, uh, she does. But I think that kind of goes to the fact that he isn't truly malicious. Like that he doesn't even have it in his bones to be truly malicious. Mm-hmm. That his mom has to come up with the most devious stuff he does is by his mom because he isn't a bad guy. Not really. Like yeah. Uh, well, and so far. that's that's so now I am going to interrupt you and, and turn it. But that's what I think. It sounds to me like you're arguing for his goodness, which I am not arguing whatsoever. I just think he doesn't have the social intelligence to pull off the last 15 minutes of the movie. No, I, I, and, and the way and, that it does. I, I get you. You know, like, and, and I get, I get, I'm not saying you don't think he's good. I'm just getting to his arc. Right. Okay. Go. So, so he, and so then Willoughby, you know, kills himself. Uh, he views it as completely directly related to uh, Mildred Hayes actions. Um, because you know, the, everyone does, you know, like, and, and no one can know otherwise unless you read the note that he wrote. Uh, and of course, like he understands he has cancer, but everyone thinks that. Um, so not only has he just lost his real father, he's just lost his father figure and mentor. Um, and literally like the next day, if not the day he finds out, I'm pretty sure it's the same day as when he encounters a black police chief, you know? Uh, and, and so he is already that day reeling yeah, from this. It, yeah, and this cop did. comes at him like, and and I, I think that's a completely reasonable reaction to lose your temper the day your father figure dies, uh, caused by a woman that you've already disliked, and then a person of a race that you hate, rationally or not, walks in, steps to you. I think that's a completely reasonable reaction. I think the last thing you're thinking about at that point is your fiscal, like, responsibilities. Like, I think, I think that reaction totally makes sense. I think he, the second he did it. And the second he realized he was fired, and when he's sitting on the porch later with his mom, he realized what he'd done, uh, and he immediately regretted it. But that's his character. <laughs> he like reacts in the moment, and then yeah. the second he does it, he thinks about what he had just done. And we see that time and time again. He does it time and time again. Uh, and then he, so then you know that's why he gets fired. He's already sort of regretting that. Then he gets the letter. He gets the letter from Willoughby, um, and and Willoughby says all the things that he had suspected for his entire life, probably just more eloquently about what he really needs to do, how he really needs to be a good detective. It's not about being a badass. It's not about flashing your gun. It's more about love than it is hate because, you know, the lines in the movie, because hate never solved anything or hate never helped anything. Um, and, and so I think in the midst and of he all said, this, he, he, said, he is, he is tail spinning. To add to your point, he says calm and thought do solve things. So he gives him those two keys that he needs for the crucial, for the bar scene. He needs to be calm and he needs to think about it. And so I agree has, with that. He has never, ever soaked up anything, probably in his entire life, more than he did that letter in that time. He's in a tailspin. And then his I think mentor he soaked up the gasoline the from uh, the Molotov cocktails pretty fast. <laughs> yeah, he did. He did. Uh, I, I think, I mean, it may, and, then, and then literally the, the tips given to him in that letter become crucial to what he actually does. I think it's like, honestly, not only do I think it's earned, I think it's what a masterful. McGuffin. It's masterful what setups and payoffs. Like it's, 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 it's 101. It's screenwriting 101. Um, how everything fits together and there's no wasted there's no wasted line in any of Willoughby's letters right there's no like just some joke thrown in there you, all of it's funny because he's fucking brilliant but like 
uh, it, all of it just it, it ties into the overarching themes of the movie. And I think I think everything he does is realistic. I don't think I think even the way he he, he cracks the case or he thinks is realistic. I think he like that's a pretty fucking dumb way to do it, right? Like I mean, like there's there would have been better ways to get this guy's DNA. Like, hey, how about you wait and get the beer bottle that he drank out of? But no, like he thinks, oh, the best way I'm going to get this is to start a fight with this guy and get the shit beat out of me. That's his way of getting this guy's DNA. Like, that's stupid, right? So, in fact, I think he even does everything completely within character. And I don't know what lines you're talking about at the end. I know he sits on the swings, and I think he talks about how he's bad at English. Like, I think he actually, I don't, I, I don't remember him saying something that was like, and you can completely have your opinion, but I, I, I mean, I don't remember him saying anything that was out of character. Yeah, I mean, I, I love the role. So now that I'm done talking about Sam Rockwell, you can give your pick for, uh, for most buckets. <laughs> for most buckets. Yeah. Uh, these last 15 minutes brought to you by Civil Discourse. It's still yeah. exists in America. <laughs> How about that? <laughs> it's a thing that people can do. And nothing has to be about some overarching like stance in life. Like We could just talk about a movie character. It's pretty yeah. awesome. Y'all check it out. <laughs> My pick for best actor it's hard because even though like again even though i don't agree with the character arc and the writing i think sam rockwell is entertaining i think he drives the movie at a lot of key points francis mcdormand is awesome uh i think you know the whole movie is driven by her but i but but as i'm speaking about what actually drives the movie forward um and i think also it's the coward's way out but the scenes that follow afterwards and the letters that he writes um i'm gonna have to give it to woody harrelson as chief willoughby for the best actor. I think he's also funny. Um, I think that the way that even though it's just like you said, a voiceover can go so wrong in a movie, but I enjoyed I, three of my favorite scenes were the three letters that he wrote to, to Mildred, to Sam or to Dixon and to his wife, Anne. Um, and that's hard to do, but also when he was on scene, he was doing the things that I was like, okay, you know, I believe everything he's saying. I believe everything he's doing. Um, and I liked it. So I'd give it to Woody Harrels. Yeah. Woody's great. Like he's really fucking good actor and he always is nominated. Like he, and there's no telling. He's like, he's like Meryl Streep in terms of nominations, but no wins, you know? And yeah. like, I don't know. There's something about him. Like there's something so charismatic and magnetic about him, no matter what character he's playing. And certain people just don't have that, you know, certain people don't, don't have that sort of whatever it is, the it factor. But yeah, he's good. I mean, like, I'm really glad that the second that Woody Harrelson hooked up with Martin McDonough on Seven Psychopaths, I was like, sweet. Like, the great pairing. I look forward to 10 more, 20 more movies of them together doing this. Like, because he is really good. Um, really like that scene when they are in the interrogation room and, uh, and, and Willoughby, when Willoughby is with Mildred Hayes in the interrogation room mm -hmm. and he's like asking how she can afford it and, you know, how she can afford the billboards and sort of get into the heart. He starts like trying to prod her with Charlie, her ex-husband. Um, and there, you know, you could tell he's sort of starting to play the chess game that he refers to later in his letter. And then he, of course he has cancer at this point and he coughs, you know, he coughs blood in his mm -hmm. face, like suddenly. And it was like, it was so jarring, like the scene was, because you were anticipating a nice, like, witty banter Some battle. Banter. Yeah. And, but then it just stops, like mid-scene. And, uh, and he coughs, and then Mildred's reaction is like, I'm sorry, baby. And, like, she, she kind of gives you a little bit of motherly feel. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and that was just really, that was a really, like, his face of pure horror that he had done that. Like, yeah. even though they were enemies at the point, uh, it was, you know, was great. And, and I, he just, uh, he's just such a likable character in this role. Uh, I agree. Yeah, Harrelson should get more love. And, and if, that's, if, 
one of the when you his face you said his face of pure horror um one of the favorite faces like when um i'm gonna reference i'm gonna cut deep into in the can podcast here when (laughs) you did the uh in the room review and you said the character who just has cancer and then disappears from the movie the rest of the time like the cancer is just like the showstopper and he tries to get mildred on his side when they're on the swing set and he's like there's another thing i have cancer and she's like she, she doesn't give a shit at all. And his face is like, she goes, oh, yeah, I know everyone hurt. in town does. Yeah. yeah. He's his, like, his face is just like, well, that didn't fucking work. I know. Now I got to keep going. <laughs> you knew I had cancer and you still yeah. put those billboards up. Yeah. She's like, yeah, they wouldn't be as effective after you croaked. Would they? <laughs> yeah. And like his face, he like you get back go, later. Yeah. It just washes yeah. over his face. The, the, the realization of like that this lady means business, you know, and yeah. it's, it's beyond just some stunt. Like it, it goes to the her heart, you know. Like I think that's maybe when it becomes real to him. Because after that, he goes and gets the file out, and he goes back to the scene of the crime and starts to maybe try to figure it out. But what? So you know, middle of a movie, Harrelson commits suicide. Um, he has a nice day out with his two daughters and his wife. Very happy marriage. Very happy relationship. Has two he's a you know, really bad dad. By the way, I'm just gonna throw that out there for for everybody. He's just a bad dad. Yeah, like he. he <laughs> yeah, there there were some parts where I was like. I don't understand what I, there were some parts there where I didn't understand what he was going for. If he was trying to demonstrate, like, I don't know. I didn't really know what we're trying to show yeah. for his, like his home life there. Um, but and he leaves his kids by that river bank and like, lets yeah. them play a game <laughs> so he can bang their mom, but you know, whatever. Uh, but so he goes, he has two daughters, like eight years old or whatever. And he goes out to his stable and, uh, and commits suicide. Um, and there's no telling how much time he had left. Like, I guess it's, it's understood like a couple months, not much more time, mm-hmm. um, but he commits suicide and, and shoots himself in the head uh, for his wife to find like, uh, you know, like a, he puts a hood on so she doesn't see the actual carnage. Um, so do you think that is a, do you think that's within character or I know he sort of explains it in his letter, but d- does that, does that justify, does, does the letter justify the end? Well, and to me, so his explanation was a really bad explanation to her and i and like he said my he 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 calls himself brave for doing this and i was just like i don't know about that at all like he said the it's not the same kind of bravery as facing down the cancer i don't want to watch your face watch me deteriorate for the next however many months but he he still references himself as brave for doing it and i was just like and but i didn't that's what i think is within character it wasn't the perfect letter to her it was his explanation right before he goes and just does it. And he just does it because that's his character. That's why he's the, the chief. That's why he's the sheriff is that he's the one, he's the man of action. He makes his mind up. It may not be the best way, but it it's a reasonable way. And he explains it and he's got logic. And I don't know. I don't so much think about whether or not it was realistic within his character. It certainly drives the movie into an amazing place for me in that like, so that, that that might be the point where I have to concede. Maybe it doesn't make sense within character the same way Dixon's, uh, mi- you know, mysterious social intelligence <laughs> comes in. Um, all of a sudden he kills himself and that's the end of his character arc, but he's got the letters. Um, so I might have to concede that maybe it doesn't make sense within the movie that he wouldn't want to figure out the crime before he kills himself or figure out some other way to enable Mildred's progress other than the billboards that he pays for. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I just, it's a highly memorable scene. It's not the way that I thought the movie was going to go whatsoever. I know. And that's 
that's why I think I enjoyed it, whether yeah, or not very, it made sense. Very shocking plot element there, too. And, and a, a very inventive use of the letters later in the movie for a character that has killed himself and yeah. created a catalyst, like a breaking point in the middle of the movie for the rest of the plot elements to develop. Yeah. Uh, but then, but then to still linger around like a ghost via these letters, you know, yeah. uh, that could, that could be the goofiest shit ever. Um, but it did work and like, yeah, whatever. I mean, it, it, you're right. He's a man of action and he did this and whether or not it was okay. And, uh, I don't know. I, I, it, I'm glad it happened. I'm glad it gave us the rest of the movie. And, but it, like upon rewatch, it's one thing that I'm like, I don't know if this guy would do that. And it mm-hmm. like, and, and especially a police chief who had seen the effects of things like this on families. Like, it seems like he probably has, like, gone to a house at some point of someone that's killed themselves and left kids behind and thought to himself, like, man, this is a horrific scene, you know? Yeah. Like, I mean, the ki- there is no doubt in my mind that the kids watching their father pass away in a hospital bed from a sickness they knew he had all along is much better than the idea of him shooting himself in the head next to a bunch of horses and their mom finding him. Like, that's, that's why he's a bad dad. Up, he's a bad dad. He's not a good dad. Yeah, <laughs> and that's- yeah like. Yeah, I mean, yeah, like you're right. I mean, they, 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 I they think really, that's part of him. I think it's part of who he is. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so, who do you give the six man slash woman award? So that the character that makes the most of their role with like limited screen time. So I originally did have that. So I had I had Frances McDormand as best actress, and then I had Woody as most of his role with limited screen time. That's a safe pick, you know. That's I mean, that's yeah. I know that's a safe pick. That's why. I, yeah. I was going to give this. You go first. Yeah, you go first. I was going to give a six man to Woody for all the reasons we just discussed. I mean, okay. uh, purely because of screen time, um, you, you know, and he's, he's a supporting role. And I knew that I was going to get and I don't mean to discredit by any means. Francis McDormand. She's amazing. But everyone knows she's amazing in this. And everyone's talked about it ad nauseum. And like it, the, the role was teed up like for her, you know, like it's like, you know, McDonough walked up to the tee and put the golf ball on there. And she walked up and yeah. hit it 400 yards like that. We all knew it was going to be good. She was just as good as advertised. She, you know, like, so, it, but it's a role that it's like, it wasn't surprising to me that it was good. You know, it was just as good as it needed to be, but it didn't shock me how good it was. Um, and, you know, like, so for that reason, like, I just can't feel as excited about it. Like, she should probably win. She should probably win the award and I hope she does. But yeah. like, she's just good in it. Like, whereas in Fargo, maybe no one saw that coming. Like, maybe no one saw this kind of weird, like, um, quiet, you know, police, you know, pregnant police chief woman. Uh, would would do what she does in that movie and, and you know that that's like kind of a weirder role but you know at this point you just expect it from her i do have i do remember who, who my second six man is uh i'm gonna throw it to penelope uh john hawk's 19 year old girlfriend because <laughs> yeah. you do not leave a scene not laughing at her when yeah. she's in it like yeah, <laughs> those were some very funny scenes with her too i think she was in three scenes and they're they're just they add a lot of brevity to the movie when I think it might be needed because the rest of the movie it's humor but it's dark humor it's it's very clever but she adds like the lighter side of life to the movie and and I appreciated that she literally walks into a domestic abuse and then goes oh now not might not Not be a good good time time. actually I see that it is not a good time Uh, so I'm just gonna turn around now and then she talks about taking care of the disabled horses and she's like not the disabled the disabled horses and just yeah yeah. it's classic mcdonald like he has like characters like this in his in his movies all the time and they're well and you gotta love that i imagine as a writer to the she literally says every single thought that comes into her head right and and on screen you can't always portray the character's thoughts it's that's that's a talent but with a character like that literally literally everything is said that she's thinking which makes it funny because yeah there's no layers (laughs) no 
and she doesn't need to have them. You know, that's uh, yeah. And and she's the reason that I, I love that that line with Mildred and and her Charlie, her, her ex husband. Uh, they're discussing how their daughter's gone and everything, and uh, and her husband says these billboards aren't going to bring her back, and uh, and she says, well, neither is fucking nineteen year olds, Charlie. And he says, yeah, but I know that. And and like, what a line! I mean, that that was like yeah. such a such a and 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 you know when it's something shuts Mildred Hayes up when she doesn't have a retort, then it has resonated, right? Then it's yeah. then it's a, an amazing comeback. Yeah, Penelope's great. She was great. Like, I'd, yeah, uh, I've never seen her in anything. I don't know who she, who that actress is, but uh, she was. It, she reminded me of Emma Stone, like a young Emma Stone. Yeah, that's who I saw inherently in her. She was good. Uh, honorable mention to Caleb Landry Jones as Red Welby. Like yeah. I just love that guy's such a weird guy. That act, you just want to get a Get Out reference or yeah. uh, connection in here. That's all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's in Get Out. Yeah, he plays the. Yeah, okay, okay. You're right, but you know, oh, Get Out. You know, let's talk about Get Out. So no, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I open that box. He's just good, man. Like he's just. I just love him sitting at that his little desk with his weird, you know, vests on and and shirts, trying to impress that hot chick that works in his office, mm-hmm. and he just bought it. You know, like. Uh, like I just love that that he's like he's like you know since whatever I say goes here at the advertising company then I'm gonna strike you up a real good deal on those billboards there and <laughs> just, uh, the dialogue's a little like uh, you know what like no one actually talks like this but it somehow it comes across as believable mm. uh, which is weird I guess it's kind of stylized but he's good uh, did you get did you have a Leo DiCaprio overacting award yeah and you uh, you already called out the exact scene for the reason so I and I don't think you'll accept this so I've also got a backup for this one as well no 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 I'll accept it I, I, go right. ahead you want to call out Rockwell for the for the emotional scene go ahead in the bathroom <laughs> yeah that's what you're going to talk about uh, that's so funny yeah uh, why do you why do you know that because because you said I just talked about it you said oh, okay. I, yeah you said okay. I talked about it earlier it hasn't you haven't seen it referenced anywhere else like reviews or something no Cool. So good. We agree that it was an uh, overacted scene. Uh, I liked it, though. It worked for no, me. Yeah. And the, the I, DiCaprio Award can work still. It doesn't mean it doesn't work. Yeah, no. Like, it sounds negative, but it can, you know, but it can work. And I, I think it was within character for him to do that. I agree. Um, yeah. I agree. I'm not, yeah. I was trying to throw that one at you. I, my actual scene where I think that happens is um, when Anne, when Willoughby's wife is delivering the letter to, um, Mildred and she's obviously in shock or whatever, but she, she repeats this line. I don't, you, you don't, it's hard to know what to do the day your husband kills himself or the day your husband dies. I can't remember what it is, but I think the way she delivers it at the end, it seemed a little put on, I think like, like, Oh, she's, this is a woman acting like her husband has just died. I would have think thought she would have just walked out or something or almost like she was looking for comfort, but the way she said it was not like looking for comfort. I don't, I don't know. It just seemed a little bit off to me and that's where, who I, where I would put that award. Yeah. She wasn't super good. Uh, I mean, she was okay, but she wasn't like Abby Cornish is her name. And she, and she is, she is a British person in real life. And she also is a Brit, her character is British. And it, right. I, like she, I think it's New Zealand. Was, I think she's from Australia or New Zealand. Okay. 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 But she, because, maintains, I, mean, I remember that because uh, in seven psychopaths, Sam Rockwell calls that out. Oh yeah, what what character is she in that one? I forgot. She's she's Colin Farrell's girlfriend who oh that's leaves right. Him. But <laughs> she has one of the most memorable scenes in my mind in the graveyard where all of a sudden it's raining and she's wearing a white t shirt and she runs into the graveyard and gets shot up. But it's raining. She's not wearing undergarments and she's wearing a white t shirt. Right, <laughs> and that's got my attention. Yeah, so understandably so. 
of course, you're talking about the you know the, the squibs and the blood there. You're not talking about any other aspects, right? Yeah, like who gets shot without undergarments on and a white right. t-shirt? Yeah, come on. Yeah, we're talking purely blood and gore here. We're not talking anatomical things. No. Yeah, like she, man, like she has that part where she comes in and finds the letter, and she's like, <laughs> and she like falls down to her knees. And I'm just like, I guess that might happen. Like, that could very well happen. I've never seen a wife walk in on a letter, a suicide note from their husband. Like, that's yeah. cancer. Uh, but it's reminded me of, like, really bizarre reference that I think you're going to get. Um, it, in uh, The Dark Knight, when Commissioner Gordon's dad is, or I'm sorry, husband is told, or damn. When his uh, wife, wife is told. Is told let, let's, yeah. let me keep going through different things and finally get there. Um, <laughs> when, when his wife is told that he died, that he, that they think he died by the Joker killing him. And she goes like, <laughs> and she like yells to Batman. She's like, you did that. <laughs> like, I was just, it seems so ridiculous. Why are we like, laughing about all these women whose husbands have just been killed? Because they need to be more believable on screen. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I, I, I think I, honestly, I, that's I'm gonna give it to her too. That's a great, that's a great point. All right, uh, all right, thanks. I'm into that. Yeah, yeah, good, good call, good call. All right, so what about Isoplay? So, single greatest acted scene by a performer. I'm I keep cheating on this, but I've got two. Uh, my number, my first one. I'm gonna so I'm gonna say line, and I'm gonna do scene. The scene is Mildred and the deer when she's in front of the billboards and she's planting the flowers, and it's a monologue essentially, but she's talking to this deer who I would have sworn was CGI'd, but apparently it's a real deer. And she has a name. No and, way. No yeah. Way. Yep. No way. It's, How do you her know? name is uh, IMDb. I don't believe it. Yeah. I, I was about to, I was literally about to say how distracting it was because that deer was 1 million percent CGI. I, could, I would have sworn up and down, same as you are right now. Um, unless, unless the good people of IMDb are lying. It's, uh, well, that's impossible. You know, yeah. <laughs> it's the internet. What? What? <laughs> Dude, there, there, there's no way that deer CGI. I would bet, oh. like, I would bet half my bank account on it I, right now. I think it might be CGI into the scene, but I don't. I, it's a real deer, according to the people who would know. Man, uh, like, because okay, well, it didn't look real, so they, they yeah. edited it wrong, or yeah. they like. Yeah. So regardless of whether it was real, the, the the problem is still the same, and that is it looked fake and it took me out of that scene. But go ahead. Yeah, I agree. Had it not been, had it only flashed through. It would have been a better scene, but her, I, I, I just love her performance in that scene. Um, I love her, the line she delivers, which is mostly Martin McDonough. Apparently like what he writes is what is said throughout the whole yeah, movie. Like there's not, don't, there's not yeah, a different line. No I, ad -libs, anything. I actually read, I mean, you know, I, I'm kind of beginning into writing some, so I read a lot of, you know, renowned writers scripts and I read McDonough's script for this movie before I saw the movie actually. Oh, wow. Um, so I, I, I guess I did know it was going to happen, but like when you read a script, you read, you watch the movie, right? Like that's a, that's a, uh, that's the signs of a good writer director. But yeah. He, Cause he knows he's going to direct it too. So he writes the way he knows it's going to appear and it do not a miss it. All the uhs, all the ums, errs, like every single tick is scripted. What and about, what about, there was one scene where when the same scene you were talking about where he spits up the blood on her and she's talking about the money and he says, I know you sold your husband's trailer. It, money's going to get tight. And she says, I got the dough. And then he cut, she says, I got, and then he finishes his line. And then she says the exact same thing that she starts to say. Do you think that was a flub that they just kept in the movie? Or was that? 
I don't remember. I don't remember if that was. It seemed anachronistic to me, just that that there's one part where somebody cuts somebody off and she says the exact same thing. And he kind of gives a little half smirk, like, I know you just messed up, but I'm professional and I'm going to finish my line. And then she says the exact same line. Um, and the only reason I notice things like that in movies these days is because my favorite movie, number one movie of all time, favorite movie, and I may get hate for this, but it's A Knight's Tale with Heath Ledger and a lot of people. Um, but... <laughs> Well, I don't want to list them all off because they're all awesome. But anyway, uh, A Knight's Tale. But there's a scene where Heath Ledger's character wins a battle and nobody does anything. And then, um, oh God, Robert Baratheon from Game of Thrones. I can't think of his real name right now. But he's like, yeah! And it's because they're working with all these like Lithuanian or Czechoslovakian actors and they missed the cue from the director or whoever to say to like to start cheering and so he starts it and then they all start cheering and then they just left it in the movie because it's like that might have actually happened like this guy came out of nowhere they don't know whether or not to cheer for him um and so when stuff like that happens in movies i'm always like is that was that intentional because it didn't fit like it doesn't happen at any other point in this movie nor any or his other movie that i've seen seven psychopaths so i was just wondering you'll have to check it out for me yeah, I, I, I didn't know. The one thing I do know is that she, when she says, I'm sorry, baby, or mm-hmm. what, you know, what, that, that was not, it, 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 the original scripted line was, I'm sorry. And uh, or, or when she says, I know, she, oh, sorry, she did I know, baby. He, he yeah. says, I know. And then she added the baby and kind of added this like motherly thing and he liked it. And so he kept it in. Um, but otherwise, she, no, I mean, it's, it, it's, 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 you know, acted as written. And to go back to the scene with the deer, it is, I mean, yeah, that's, it's amazing. Now that I know more about him, definitely appreciate what he's doing. Um, The scene with the deer, she calls it baby too, when it first walks up. But then one of my favorite lines is, uh, am I supposed to believe in reincarnation? Seeing you, because you're pretty, but you ain't her. (laughs) And that's like, that's one of the powerful lines in the movie that I really enjoyed from her. And that's part of why I like that monologue so much. Um, yeah, she's she's good. I mean, like it, it feels weird sweeping under sweeping sweeping her performance mentally underneath the rug in my brain because it's just so good and I expected it to be good. It feels yeah. weird doing that, but I am doing it. Like I yeah. maybe that's wrong, but um, but yeah, she's fucking good. Like got nothing negative to say about Francis McDormand in this movie. My other my other best scene, my best line from the movie is just when she's trying to put the fires out on the billboard, and Robbie's like. He's, she's like, give me that fire extinguisher. And he's like, he's like, mom, what, we can't stop this. And she's like, Robbie. And then he's like, mom, what are you doing? And she's like, Robbie. And it's not overacted. It's not like it, it was, it, it hit me the way she did it. It was gut wrenching, heartbreaking, just all of her anguish for the past seven months and the past month that she's been fighting everybody on these billboards and taking action finally it, to me, it's all expressed in that one line when she's yelling at her son because she's trying to save the billboards. Yeah, I love that, love that line. That is that was going to be mine actually. Uh, and you really? explained. Oh it. my god! <laughs> yeah, you, you explained it exactly how I was going to explain it. So there's no need to talk about it. But yeah, uh, that was that was a great scene. And then uh, the and the quick shout out to the camera work in this movie. Cinematography is something that I really appreciate. Um, certain movies you can like you can snapshot individual frames and hang them on your walls because they're framed so well. But uh, one part I liked about this movie was the opening kind of like gives you, you know, plays like a, there's some kind of like Americana type folk music playing and you see the, the built it's like dusk or dawn and, and, uh, and, and you know, the, the sun isn't quite up or down yet. And you get these th- the shots of the three billboards 
and uh, it's just static shots of three billboards. And it's just, uh, it, you know, it sort of set the tone for what you're about to get into. Um, and then that, that those scenes when they lit the, and they really did like the billboards on fire. You could tell mostly because fire, you can't see GI fire. Like, and if you do, yeah. it's notice like insanely noticeable because of the way it refract, you know, reflects on everything yeah. else. Yep. Um, and so you knew it was happening. They might've augmented it a little bit, but you knew like there was real flames and they, yeah, that was great. Like, and she and has that kind of, you know, that wide frame shot of her running between the billboards and she falls down to her knees and you know, you're behind her there and Robbie's watching her and uh, English. yeah, it was, dude, it was, uh, it was some powerful stuff, man. Like, um, and stuff like that. Th- th- those are moments in movies that are timeless, you know, like this movie doesn't require, I'm always like, like the departed, this is a crazy tangent, but, um, like the departed, that movie features a lot of cell phones Dated. Uh, and, and they're all flip phones and they all yeah. like T9 text in it. Blue and, screen. Yeah. And it's uh, and it, it those are those those phones play crucial components in the movie, like the way that everyone's talking to each other and texting. Uh, and it's a very two thousand six movie, which is when it came out. And so I think like that that aspect of it seems really weird now when I watch it. Like it's it, it's like for some reason I can watch The Godfather when they're using like typewriters <laughs> and shit, and that seems less like a big deal than The Departed. Like it it mm-hmm. feels like it feels dated now. And um and just yeah every all their clothes and departed too maybe the two thousands were just so weird but uh yeah it just it's it's it feels very dated but whereas three billboards does not you know there's I guess every, people have cell phones in it but it's not like a you know a big part and like the cars were whatever you know they weren't none of them were super new looking none of them were super old looking it's movies like this you can watch anytime and it doesn't it doesn't make you feel like any particular part of it was hokey you know yep. computers didn't play a big role like it's a small town you know so. Uh, I liked that. And that's something I noticed about this movie. Well, and it's, I mean, it feels up to our times, obviously, but even like, so Sam's or Dixon's phone is a landline phone. She's driving a station wagon throughout the whole movie. So, yeah, I mean, it's, and I think part of that is because they're in a small town and a small town. I mean, I'm, I'm from a really small town in Nebraska and things don't catch up as fast. So you're going to see, you're going to see the station wagons driving around right next to the, the brand new Chevrolets. I mean, so yeah, I can, I could get a feel for that and, and they did it right. I mean, in my opinion, but that, so that's another thing though, that I wanted to bring up and it means absolutely nothing, but in all of the car scenes and there's, there's a few scenes where they're driving, like Dixon is driving at the beginning when he finds the billboard. There's a lot of car scenes. There, yeah. There's there's a lot of scenes in, in the car and often when they're driving by the billboards, like when it's Robbie and yeah. uh, Mildred in the car, multiple shots of that. Like there's, um, there's the end when they're, when Dixon and Mildred are in the car, yeah. there's the, all the yeah. cop car scenes. Uh, yeah, a lot of car scenes. And, and about that, not a single one of those scenes features the car playing a song on the radio. It's all silence or like the opening scene with Dixon, he's singing some song, like it's going, Mow! And I don't, I, when I went down <laughs> I to the radio, Mow! And I don't know what it is, but, but yeah, there's <laughs> no... Sam Rockwell being Sam Rockwell. <laughs> which is great, yeah. Yeah, it is great. It, it, it kind of establishes, I mean, yeah, it's a good opening view of dixon yeah um but yeah there's no radios playing or anything um and to me what went through my mind from a small town is they just don't get any stations like that's why nobody's listening to any music because there's no radio stations that come in and oh, i didn't think town. about that i would have no yeah. i would have no context for that yeah that is a, yeah. that's cool probably so especially in the mountains it's yeah surrounded by mountains no radio yeah. signals coming through kind of in this little ozark valley mm-hmm. uh yeah that's a good point that's i mean yeah, the movie was actually shot in North Carolina. 
Yeah. Uh, it was shot at a small city in North Carolina and they, they were on location for a month and, you know, put Ebbing, Ebbing's not a real city. They put Ebbing on all the police cars and, uh, that would have been cool. That would have been a cool experience to live in that little town as they were shooting this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I, yeah, at some point I really hope that happens. Like somehow wherever I am, some movie gets shot and it's a movie that I end up seeing and liking, you know, so I, yeah. I could have seen it. <laughs> I love Mildred when she's talking to the deer, AKA kind of like her daughter. That's, I guess that's the idea there. And she's like, uh, you know, so is it because that, you know, God doesn't exist and the world is <laughs> shitty and like no one cares about anything. And like, and she basically says all the, all the things that someone that is like, re, like just reeling in grief uh, would say, you know, like, the, but she meant it all. These are things that she had all been thinking about, but she says it jokingly. And in one sentence that you would say to your buddy when you're drunk at a bar, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. like when you break up with a girl and you're sad, yeah. you're like, is it because uh, like I'm depressed and like, I need to keep drinking. And like, you, you reel off this really dark inner turmoil, but you reel it off as a joke. And it, that worked for, for mm-hmm. sure. Um, so what, all right. So we talked about Harrelson's arc. Now, what do you think, what do you make of this, this movie being racist and the backlash surrounding that the surrounding the idea is movies at all racist. Um, and, and it just, the focus particularly seems to be on, uh, Sam Rockwell's character. Jason Dixon is a racist cop. We don't see him do anything racist in the movie. He really says some stuff, I guess we don't see him do. We understood that he brutalized black people before the events of the film. But then he he ends up becoming kind of a weird hero at the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so what like what what do you make of this whole this all this stuff? So until you asked me that, I mean, I didn't like I I I didn't I haven't seen any backlash on it. I haven't seen any like big articles about how this is a racist movie or anything like that. So I haven't seen anything that you may be referencing. Um, that being said, when I first watched it, I was like, damn, this is <laughs> this is like small town South. Missouri, like they're, they're not holding back on anything. And I think they, and maybe that's what you're talking about earlier with uh, McDonough getting some backlash of not being from here, but go ahead and throwing in like so many different aspects. I mean, they're more than just racist. Like there's one time when like Willoughby, when he's talking to Francis McDormand again in the officer room and he's like, if you got rid of every, uh, every, every cop who has any racist leaning, tendencies we'd only have three left and they'd all hate the goddamn facts or something yeah, like that. Yeah. Like, it's i mean there's no holds barred which you can do in a movie um and it's just part of the humor of the movie and you you write it off as well he's a small town police chief and that's just how they talk um but and there's so many other references i mean they make fun of peter dinklage for being a dwarf and a midget to his face um he talks to like dixon i mean i'm trying to think if it all comes from the cops and that that would be a revelation in my mind, whether it's already occurred to everybody else in, who's seen this movie. But is it just the cops who say those things in this movie? Does is anybody no, else? The, I mean, you know, like I mean, Mildred refers to, uh, you know, like when he refer, when she talks to Dixon, trying to bait him, kind of she yeah, says, "How's the N word?" You got to call it person yeah, of color yeah, torture. Person of color torture in business, yeah. And uh, yeah, that, I mean, you know, like it, that. But that was a purely baiting thing. I mean. I, I wrote down as many lines as I could where I don't that think, occurs. but that's the and thing. I, I, I don't yeah. think that it's about the, the, the backlash doesn't seem to be born out of that because then 12 years of slave would be racist. Right. Hmm. Like, I, but you know, 12 years of slave was written and directed by a black guy. Um, and you know, so, but like, so just because you depict racist things doesn't make your movie racist. Uh, and I don't think anyone's saying that there's no way that these characters wouldn't do the things that they did. What people are saying is that, it was insensitive to, to, to show a character like this 
and then the fact that he redeems himself and yeah, becomes and a hero. Have him, uh, and then have gotcha. him be not basically like I guess what people would have preferred is he get like burned in the fire or like yeah. I don't know. I don't, that's what I. That's kind of what I asked you at the beginning was like, what do you want? <laughs> like you know what what would have been a better arc? Like what would have made people feel better about it? And I, I just think it's I think it's garbage, man. Like I, it's really it's 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 sort of soiled my like. Uh, enjoyment of this movie is like because i i being someone that has this website and you know we talk about movies and, and i read a lot of other people's stuff and th- like there's there's certain people i really admire that are sort of buying into this and like i i'm all about like you know there's like this whole the, the pc bro movement is like a huge joke i get that like the, i mean it's a joke like people make jokes about it yeah and like and, and so i'm not trying to do that here but this is where it's like gone a little too far in my opinion that it's just like it's transcended reason and become more about like us all being entrenched in our different corners about stuff and not actually looking at what actually happens in this movie. Like it's not, I mean, if anything, they're on the right side, right? Like the movie depicts Dixon as a bad guy. Yeah. Like it is not good to be racist. It does not celebrate racism. He, uh, like he is not, he gets called out for it several times by red and by the people in the town. Yeah. Nothing but bad things happen to him because of that. And like, I don't know what else you could do. Like, I mean, should he have been crucified on a cross like in it? Should, you know, like I, I don't understand what people want. And it's, it's, it's very much annoyed me because it's, it, it's, it's calling people are calling this movie, Brett, that it's the new crash, that it's going to be a movie that like 10 years from now, everyone thinks it's super shitty. And everyone keeps talking about how it isn't that good. And like, everyone's like, Oh, it's not that good. Like, uh, you know, everyone's just enamored by it because of all these performances, but like, really it's not that good. And then people are like, well, what do you mean? Like, what do you mean it's not that good? And they're like, oh, well, you know, I, you know, like uh, they try to like come up with some stuff, but it goes to this. It's, it literally is this, this Dixon doesn't get his comeuppance. Like people would have like, people would have rather something than get out happened, right? Where ever all the white people die. <laughs> I mean, I'm being serious. Like, like a black character murders all the white people and get out and it's in a vengeful way. Mm-hmm. And yeah, they're all, all the white people are villains and get out. Uh, I, I mean, I, you know, it's just, it's annoyed me. And if you want to be annoyed, I'm telling you right now, you'll get triggered. If you listen to any of the ringer stuff, the ringer is a great website. They have a lot of quality podcasters and authors on there, but they have had some people talking about this movie. that I think all the stuff they're complaining about how this movie is tone deaf and how this movie is this and that is, is like, they sound just as tone deaf talking about it in that way as they're complaining. The movie is so sorry. I had to get on my soapbox a little bit. There. Yeah. Well, yeah, and I'm, I mean, I haven't heard any of that, um, and I prefer to stay out of that. I'm glad I'm not actually a, a filmist as you are. Um, I don't, <laughs> I don't, uh, I don't dive as deep into the theater, the the world, I guess, the business as you do. Um, and I just I'm surprised you haven't seen that. I'm legit surprised because it's made its way like into the main, you know, I mean, because you you can't turn anywhere right now without reading some Oscar shit, you know, about who should win or who, and all that. Like, and then that's, that's a lot of people are saying like, oh, three billboards is going to win. Like, and it's, you know, it's tone deaf. And like, and and then people are like, well, why? And then no one can actually articulate anything. It's just, it's just a big joke to me. I don't understand why people have chosen this movie that's a good movie and actually has good positive messages to tell people uh, and, and, and try to demonize it. For no reason, other than the fact that it was a British guy that wrote it. Like, I, I really feel like that's like the heart of it, which is it's really weird that it's become a thing. But what, you know. Well, and it is such a juxtaposition, though, because like two other amazing movies this year that are in different genres that maybe won't win an Oscar for Best Picture because they're not in the right family. 
is Get Out and Black Panther, right? And those were two amazing movies that celebrate the diversity. I don't know about celebrate diversity and Get Out, but the black guy wins. <laughs> he definitely wins at the end, like you said. Right. Um, and in Black Panther, I mean, it's like I I feel bad being like this is a black empowerment movie because I don't, you know, I'm not in that culture. I'm not. I don't f- face any sort of diversity issues whatsoever in my life, like none, none whatsoever. But it, I think it's an awesome movie, just period, hands down. It is, um, and it's 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 cool to see those sorts of movies. Whereas this one is not. They point out, I guess, maybe the harsh realities of living in a, a small town Southern life. But like you said, there's no there's no comeuppance of it. The good drives through the movie. Like he's not celebrated as a good character, uh, but he doesn't get any sort of a, a comeuppance for that. But he does change. I think like his message is that love is the answer, and that kind of changes his demeanor. And then for the rest of the movie, I think he makes one line, and <laughs> one of the lines on the swing set is who wants who wants to go to mexico or something and he said maybe he's the mexicans or something like that like he 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 hasn't changed that much but he's driving with love instead of driving with ignorance i think at the end of the movie yeah yeah i mean and to say that like i think to say anything otherwise to say to say that anything otherwise should have happened to him to me is the reason that we're in all the pickles that we're in now you know like that that there's no understanding that anyone could ever change. Like if you're ever a racist and suddenly you need to be killed or there, there's no way you could ever not be a decent person or, you know, if you're suddenly whatever you should be ki- like, it's just weird to me. And I, and honestly, sorry, <laughs> but Francis McDraw was going to come up, bring this point up earlier. The only person who really says anything awful is Francis is Mildred Hayes in this movie. She says, I would have every boy over the age of, eight in this town have their blood drawn and test them and see if they're the person who raped my daughter. And then if it's not that, you know, she expands it out. And then she says, every boy that's born from here on out, if it was me, I'd put them all in a database. And if they do anything wrong, kill them. Or if they, you know, I don't can't remember. I can't remember what it is. She says exactly for the crime, but basically it's, I don't, I don't care. Fuck them, kill them. If they do anything sort of wrong. And she's, you know, she's the one willing to commit arson. She's the one who's willing to start these wars in the town uh, she's the one who just out of anger, sudden anger told her daughter. And this is obviously a pivotal scene. And this was, I think also an overacted scene, but she tells her daughter, I hope you get raped the night she gets raped. And, um, like really the main character who we want to fight for, I think does some of the worst things besides, uh, Dixon throwing red out the window. Um, I think she's right up there with them. And that, you know, that may be part of the deeper movie that you're about to, <laughs> enlighten me on no no i agree uh, I, I agree like that that just goes more to my point like there it's just it's just bizarre to me like yeah. and and black panther has been the the best kind of celebration that you can have right like it has been phenomenal and very heartwarming to watch the whole process and everything like that's been great uh but like what i don't like is that you know the hatred in this movie like that's the kind of shit i don't like like there's just no point in it. And I don't like it, it, it just, it just, it just discredits everything that black Panther might've done. Like maybe this, mm-hmm. like this, this is just the opposite. It's just the opposite effect, I guess. Um, but I mean, you know, whatever, like uh, you, that's always going to be the case and not everyone thinks that, but like, I just wish everyone could be honest about it. I wish that people that say that they don't think this movie is actually good could say why. And that's, that, that that's why they feel like this guy didn't get killed basically, or like whatever, or maimed, more bad yeah uh, or whatever like whatever they whatever they would have felt like is appropriate comeuppance like whatever sort of judge jury and executioner they wish would have happened like that's why they don't like it 
and it's not because it's not well incredibly well written well shot well directed because it's fucking all those things like i mean and to deny that and pretend like there isn't this kind of underlying thing is what has annoyed me the most about it uh it's caused people to sort of lose their credibility in my mind just been weird like i don't i don't understand why i took this movie to do it but yeah, yeah. whatever a wrinkle in time comes out next friday everybody go see it uh just up for movie of the year 2018 and uh we'll just move on with our lives yeah yeah wrinkle of time sure will be great um <laughs> uh scenario based question uh do you which character are you placing nick cage do you have a you got it ready because this is hard for me and i don't want to steal your thunder i feel like i've cut you off or i've stolen your answers several times no man no man not at all i i would go with uh i would go with um mildred hayes ex-husband oh. charlie Oh, uh, I think he would be a. <laughs> no, I wouldn't replace McDormand. <laughs> the uh, main I, character. I, <laughs> uh, no, I picked Charlie. I think. I think, dude. As much as we joke about Nick Cage on here, like I think he actually would be weirdly super well suited to play that character. Like kind of an unhinged, like hick character. Uh, like I, I think of him. He was in the Coen Brothers movie. He was uh, in Raising Arizona. Like I think he, you know, he could have yeah. basically played that character, but maybe a little more malicious. You know, whereas. In Raising Arizona, he was more like, you know, innocent and funny. This one, he could have been a little darker, you know, left his wife or younger woman kind of stuff. Might have been a little distracting to see him show up in that role, but, you know, but whatever. Like, that, yeah. This is in the camp podcast. We do what the fuck we want. Yeah. I mean, if the, like there are actually a couple roles like that where I could see him. And that was one that I had had marked down too in my mind was uh, Nick Cage could have could have played the ex-husband. I thought it'd be pretty funny if he uh, played the deer that Mildred talked to in that, that one scene. <laughs> that would have been more realistic than the deer they used the, in the, yeah, movie. the CGI deer. <laughs> uh, they should have brought in Andy Circus to uh, yeah, for sure. Cap. to recreate recreate the deer. Yeah, uh, yeah, that would have been yeah that huge uh, mistake on their part not bringing Circus in. I thought it would have been funny to have Nick Cage as the Mexican billboard guy in the opening scene, or Dixon. Oh, like, yeah. what? what the hell is that? And he's yeah. like, what? He's like, what? He's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I, love, I love scenes like that. Like uh, that's right out of uh, Coen Brothers. Like that is like absolutely yeah. copy. And I'm writing a script right now and I'd copy that, the shit out of that. Like uh, I love scenes like that. Like just miscommunication scenes. Like you can really create some comedy out of that. Yeah. It's a good, great. Uh, yeah. Dixon has a good introduction, I think. Um, you could replace Angela, the daughter, the hormonal raging daughter with Nick Cage. And I That'd think good. It's, it's, uh, yeah, it might take you out of the scene a little bit, but like I said, I think that whole scene is, is pretty contrived and overdone. I think I, I like that scene. I like that scene. Uh, I, I like Robbie in that scene. Yeah. What are you going to move out? It was a gag. It was, it was a gag. When she when she says there will be no cunts in this house, can I drop the c word on the barn bur- burner network? Oh yeah, you just did. I just did. Yeah. Well, she yeah, she says that, and he's like, "What are you going to move out?" And then and then he's like, "It was a gag. It was a gag." <laughs> yeah, and yeah, I mean, Robbie is like, that guy. Like, uh, he was great in uh, Manchester by the Sea. Obviously, it's kind of when he came onto the scene for me, anyway. Lighten it up, Lady Bird. He's in everything, dude, and he's yeah. always good. This movie, I didn't buy him in. Uh, I, I didn't like, he didn't seem like the kind, like, like her son. Like he, he seemed like he would come from a happy family. Uh, Does that make sense? Like he didn't seem hardened enough. I know he has that part where he like holds the knife to his father and like that, but that didn't make sense to me. It's an immature reaction or not even immature, but yeah, it's, it's, 
Nothing it's he'd done thus far would demonstrate that he would ever do anything like that. Yeah. Like he literally bitches about seeing the billboards because it like makes him think about and I realize like that kind of makes sense, but like he's kind of a little bitch. Like uh he's you know, he's not like a kind of a hardened son that you would think Mildred Hayes and like her an abusive household would breed, like a kind of a redneck hardened son. But maybe that was a purpose to have like kind of an opposite of her. Because that can happen too. Yeah. But. But yeah, I don't know. Like he, he kind of seemed weirdly placed in the movie. Like he, he didn't, he didn't really have a super Southern accent. Uh, I don't know. It was weird, but he was good. I mean, it, but it was, he was weirdly misplaced, mm-hmm. but that scene, like I liked how he had the guts to like do that. Right. Like uh, a lot of that, that's the scene that doesn't show up in a lot of these movies. Um, is that kind of the last scene before they disappear and like how there's like this conversation that can happen. I almost think he may be waxing a little bit, uh, philosophic and maybe like cautioning parents to think about the things they say. Uh, Cause like that could fucking happen. Right. Like mm-hmm. if you, it could be the last words you say to your kid and it, and it more, it also informs Mildred a little bit more how like, you know, like, wow, like not only did that happen, but then also that's the last exchange they had. Can you imagine yeah, uh, the, the escalated grief? Yeah. Which is why she kind of talks to her daughter. I feel, tries to find her and, you know, like nature and whatnot. CGI mm-hmm. deers. Yeah. What do you think about Oscar noms here? Uh, I mean, McDormand's <laughs> up for Best Actress. Harrelson and Rockwell are for Best Supporting Actor. Uh, First McDormand's time since 1991 that that's happened. What was that movie? A Silence of the Lambs? What, a Silence, no, it was it was one I hadn't heard of, and I can't remember the name of it. Okay. But, yeah. It was, yeah, first time since 91 that two actors from the same movie have been nominated for Best Supporting yeah, that's, I mean, that's how how good do you feel if you're McDonough, right? Like, like you get two guys in your best supporting, and then your best actress is your lead, and then you get best script, you nominated, and then you got director. Or is he nominated for director? I don't I think he's so. Not. And it's yeah, it was it surprises me, but yeah, he's not. And then he's but the best picture too. I mean, the whole thing's a sh- like, I don't like. How do you not nominate him for best director? Like, yeah. like I. And then, but give it all this love. Like you, you lord everything that the movie, every aspect of the movie, but the guy <laughs> that put the movie together. Yeah, that's bizarre to me. But yeah. um, so, who, do you think it wins any of them? Do you think it wins none of them? What do you think? I happens? think he wins again. So we saw it the the morning of the Golden Globes. We, my wife and I, saw it um, the morning of the Golden Globes, and I think that was kind of what drove her to see it was because it was nominated for for Best Picture in that. And uh, and again, I hadn't heard anything about it. Um, and after we saw it, I was like, man, I hope this thing wins best picture. And I was super hyped about it. Um, and so I, I, I think she wins again for best actress. Um, I don't know if she wins best picture just because it's, you can get like the second best movie of somebody's vote. Like the people who vote on it, it's not just the one that gets the most first place votes. It's a cumulative, your highest score. So like if this movie wasn't second or third on a bunch of people's lists, who didn't vote at number one, then it's not going to win. And we've seen a lot of movies like, like Dunkirk, who's it's made so much money typically might fall higher up on the list. So I'm, I don't know if it's going to win best picture just because of that. Oh, Dunkirk's not going to win. No way. No, no, no. I did. Yeah. But, but, and also like Moonlight, that wasn't a widely, you know, critical success at the box office, but you know, they won. So I don't know. That was a joke. I guess I'm, what I'm saying is I'm a coward who won't make a call on this. <laughs> okay. That's what I wanted to hear. I wanted yeah. the actual admission here on the air. Um, uh, <laughs> I guess after saying all that, I'd really like to say that. <laughs> oh man. All right. So I go, 
I know you're going to edit this down to like a 15 minute podcast, but man, it's been like, what, this is our fifth hour now of recording. And... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But at least we're at least six, seven hours in for sure. Uh, and then of course I'll cut out the, I'm really just going to leave in that coward part. It's just going to repeat. It's going to be you repeating that over and over 15 minutes and there's going to be no actual content. Um, yeah, this is going to be a long, but it's good. It's good, man. Like, uh, all right. So I, I like, I, I've lobbied for. I, I want Get Out to win Best Picture just by the because I think it's like a movie that it, it can say all the things that people wanted to say. Like it can be that you know the political type win, but also it's good. Like so, it deserves to win too. You know, on its own merits, aside from all that. And so that that's what I really liked about it. Whereas I feel like Moonlight's a movie that no one's going to remember in five years. Like I, already, people don't remember. You know, right, like it, yeah. it, it is. It won Best Picture in the most prestigious. Like you know, the other best picture winners, like, you, like, I mean, the, these aren't movies that you just forget about. Like, the, yeah. you know, these are classics that should be an American. Every best picture should be an American classic. Like that's kind of the, that's kind of the deal, but I'd be perfect. Like if this one, I'd be you're perfect. saying an American, I hear the emphasis on American. So you don't want, uh, you don't want any of the, you don't want Martin McDonough to win. You don't want, Oh God, they just edit this part out. Cause I lost my train of thought there. <laughs> no, I'm going to leave it in for sure. Any embarrassing? <laughs> It's for you. Uh, no, yeah, I only want American-made things uh, to win my American awards. Uh, but no, I mean, I, was, I would love this movie to win. I, what Darkest I would love, what I want, that's what I was trying to get at. Darkest Hour. I right. blew it. I oh blew it. God, no, no. Get Darkest Hour out of there. Have you seen it? No. It's the most boring thing I've ever watched. Uh, it, it is unbelievably pretentious. Is it and, Gary Oldman's Alexander? Is that? <laughs> with uh, with Alexander, the one doesn't that have like Colin Colin Farrell. Farrell it? Yeah, it's like a three-hour epic that nobody That's not epic. Yeah, <laughs> it doesn't even have like sweeping like army shots in this movie, right? It's just like Gary Oldman wearing a fat suit getting out of bed for two hours. Like, I mean, it, like, oh, dude, he's gonna win too. Like, I hate these lifetime achievement awards that we give best actor actors. Uh, like, he should have won for fucking plethora of things before this. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they're going to give Taylor. it to him because Tinker they, Taylor uh, held the villain in uh, uh, Leon the Professional, whatever his character's name is in that one. Um, have you seen? I know uh, what you're talking. I know it. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's magnetic in that movie. Um, but I mean, he's often the like everyone talks about him as getting snubbed a lot. But I think it wins. It doesn't win Best Picture. Uh, I hope Get Out does. But if it does, I'd be very happy if it if Three Billboards wins. I think McDormand wins Best Actress. I don't see anyone beating her in that. Uh, Best Supporting, Harrelson, sorry, you're not going to win. Rockwell, I think, does win, though, and I think everyone freaks out about it. Uh, It's going to really annoy me. And then um, it should win Best Original Script. If if it doesn't, then... Like uh, people are like people need to read like people need to read this thing. Like this is a work. Is of this art. the part where we shit on Ladybird? <laughs> no, that's is another. This, is this where it comes in. Because <laughs> uh, like, I hope I better not win. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah. Like she, I think, I think, I don't think she actually wrote the script. I think she went to a junior high school and just like turned on her <laughs> iPhone record and then just like played that. <laughs> God. But I, 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 like movies like this need to get like like more love just so they keep being made, you know. And I like I don't care about Gary Oldman playing Winston Churchill and putting on a fat suit and talking a British accent. Like I don't care about that. Or I Meryl care Street. about inventive new original ideas with inventive new young exciting directors 
that that are you know that are challenging the way we can think about things and literally like make us want to talk for an hour and a half about a movie you know like uh, and, and you just don't get that a lot these days well all right good chat <laughs> <laughs> well what are your fun- final thoughts man what do you give it one to four barns you can use decimal points and are any of them on fire uh before we get to this I just have to throw one more shout out. The reason that you brought me on here is because I'm the token Missouri guy that you know. Uh, At the beginning, when she's recording the first, when she's recording her newscast, and uh, they say she says the buck stops here, that is a Harry Truman quote, and Harry Truman is celebrated as a god in Missouri. So I just wanted to make sure that everybody caught that little little gem in there. Uh, but now I'll get to my. Where am I? Yeah, I just blacked out for a second. I wasn't able to hear what just happened, but uh, I assume some great Missouri trivia was was uh, given amongst the airwaves here. Oh yeah, we couldn't couldn't forget about it. I give this three billboards burnt to a crisp. <laughs> oh man, did you plan that? Of course I did. Yeah, that's that's asinine. I don't even. Uh, honestly, I ought to just delete this thing right now. Uh, uh, that, that was, I'm here to challenge the process. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. I, I give it, I, dude. I I give this four barns. I give it four barns. They're on fire. Burnt to a crisp. This is a good fucking movie, and it's right. I mean, it's right up my alley. It really, like when I watched it, I was like, all right, this movie's like definitely a movie that I think I would have loved it even more if I'd seen it. You know three or four years ago, I've just seen so many good movies. This has been a great year for movies. Honestly, mm-hmm. I think if it's snuck in any other year, it would have been like a resounding favorite. Um, but there's been so many weird and different movies this year. And like, you know, last Jedi came out. So that's just, honestly, I'm still a little pissed that it didn't get any love. Like, I think it's phenomenal. Um, and I think uh, here, here's another quick hot take. I think if that isn't a space opera, if that didn't have the word star Wars on it. And if like Adam driver hadn't been, you know, holding a lightsaber and instead had been in a, a Missouri house, like in a rural <laughs> town doing all the same stuff. I think like he'd been nominated. Like I, I think he's great in that movie. And just because he's on a spaceship instead of like rural, you know, America, like for some reason he is discredited, but um, yeah, really great movie. Really loved it. Everyone check it out. Uh, this is rewatchability. Uh, I bought it already. Uh, it is, it is, uh, I, well, I bought it on iTunes actually. And this is going to be a rewatch, probably annually movie. It's just really entertaining, really good. Yep. Um, if you haven't seen it yet, you need to go see it. If you are, for some reason, a huge fan of It's Always Sunny, Max Mom plays Dixon's mom. Mm-hmm. So you're going to love this movie just for that reason alone. Um, but yeah, rewatchability. I also own it now. Um, I, like I said, I've, I've told a dozen people to go see it and a half dozen of them have done so. Um, and they've all given great feedback and, um, I tell everybody to go see it no matter who you are. They're like, there's, there's no demographic that I wouldn't tell to see it. And that's, yeah. And it's, it, it transcends. It does. It, uh, it, it transcends like, a and, and that's all I gotta say, man. So, uh, Brett, appreciate you coming on. Glad we got to, to do this podcast. I think you had fun. Um, and it, cause it's a lot of fun doing this. It's a lot of fun doing this with, uh, with friends and, you know, talking some serious uh, analytics about these different movies that come out and being able to dive into the different elements of it and be honest about all of them, what we thought. Um, so this has been episode seven of In the Can. 
uh, where we talk three billboards, part of the Barnburner Podcast Network on thebarnburner.com at www.the-barnburner.com. I know Brett's a huge reader of our content and uh, and and he, he loves all this stuff and can't get enough. Can't devour the Barnburner. It's not coming out fast enough for him. Uh, so we, we appreciate y'all listening. We appreciate you checking out the site. And we look forward to reviewing more movies. Look forward to having Brett back on the show. Brett, you got any closing thoughts, bro? Apparently not. Thanks, man. This has been a great, uh, great experience. I did have a lot of fun. So thanks for having me on. Good, man. All right. See y'all later.